This morning, I would like to begin at the beginning of the Bible. In the book of Genesis, chapter number one, verse number one. Over the next many months, I purpose to teach and preach through the book of Genesis. It is in the book of Genesis that we learn of God and his creation. We learn of man and his fall. In the book of Genesis, we learn of the promise of God to redeem man from his fall through the seed of Abraham. In the book of Genesis, we're introduced to so many biblical doctrines, including creation and imputation of sin and justification and atonement and depravity and wrath and grace and responsibility and sovereignty and many, many more. And many of the great questions of life are asked and answered in the book of Genesis. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Who is God? What is he doing? Why is he doing what he is doing? And so, We begin this morning in the book of beginnings in Genesis chapter number one with a message that I am simply titling the creator of all creation. Let me pause briefly for prayer and then we'll study together. God in heaven, thank you for the moments we've spent in worship, in remembrance. Lord, we thank you now for the opportunity we have to open the living word of God and to learn about you, our creator, in the beginning. I pray, God, that your spirit would be our teacher. Go before us now, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. We know that Genesis 1 gives us the account of creation, the creation of all that is, from the the planets which hang in the sky to the bugs which crawl on the earth. However, before we learn of the creation, We learn of the creator. In fact, Genesis 1 is not so much about the creation as it is about the creator. Genesis 1 is one of the most God-centered chapters in all of the Bible for God is named by name 32 times in 31 verses. If we add the pronouns as well, he is mentioned 43 times. The primary subject of Genesis chapter one is not the creation, it is the creator. Therefore, I submit to you, I've written this at the top of your notes, it's before you project it on the screen. The Bible doesn't begin with creation, but with the creator. This world's assault on the creation account of Genesis one is not about the origin of all that is, but about the originator of all that is. And then man's greatest sin becomes worshiping the creation rather than the creator. For Genesis 1, verse number 1, begins with that presuppositional statement that we all know by heart. In the beginning, God. The existence of God is not explained, it's assumed For without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Hebrews 11 verse number six. Rather it is the fool who is said in his heart there is no God. Psalm 14 verse number one. Therefore we must be presuppositionalists. We must accept at the beginning by faith that God is from the beginning. But unfortunately there are many like those in Jesus' day a wicked and adulterous generation who seek after a sign. Some are like Doubting Thomas in John chapter 20 who, unless they see, will not believe. And invariably, our human reason and logic seeks proof for the evidence of God before we're willing to believe. So then, there is a place for the the evidentialist that is the one looking to empirical evidence for proof of God, but I believe that the evidence for God 
the evidence for God, for example, the general revelation of creation that we will encounter here in Genesis chapter one is not to first prove God as authentic. Otherwise, our faith is propped up by what we see and it ceases to be faith. So before we look to evidences, before we look to proofs, we first must in a presuppositional way accept by faith that God is. If I will only believe that God is after empirical evidence can prove it to my sensibilities, then faith is not faith. And that's why Jesus said to Doubting Thomas, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And so in the beginning, we begin with God. God is, Genesis chapter one, verse one, then God created. And a plain reading of Genesis 1, I believe is sufficient to know that God created all that is with his spoken word in six days. But there are many who believe that, that God is by faith. Okay, we'll grant that. But then they try to explain away what God did, his creation, by imposing their science on the scripture by imposing their geology upon Genesis. There are those who reject God's revelation for the theory of evolution. And some ideas that are put forward just quickly, I'll give these to you. The day-age theory claims that the days in Genesis chapter one are not to be viewed as literal 24-hour days, but as eras or ages of vast periods of times, millions and billions of years, which of course accommodates man's theory of evolution. There's another, the gap theory. The gap theory accepts Genesis 1 as the account of original creation, but it inserts a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 to make room for all of the time demanded by modern science. There's another, it's called the revelation theory, and it suggests that Genesis 1 is not the days of creation, but the days of revelation, the days when God revealed this information to Moses the author of the book of Genesis, and each of the six days of Revelation, Moses recorded what God told him about the evolution of all that is. And then there's theistic evolution, which would concede there is a God, but that God used evolution to accomplish his creation. And so there are some that would accept that God is, but then find difficulty the prospect that God created. Acts chapter seven, verse 22 tells us that Moses was learned in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians, yet he did not write Genesis one according to the theories of origin that were current in his day in Egypt. And if you've studied ancient, ancient history, every civilization has had a different account of the origins of the universe, such as the Babylonian Enuma Elish. Perhaps you've heard of that. But the theories of man cannot answer the question of origin. And so Genesis 1 verse 1 is so important to us. In the beginning, God. God is, and then God created. Science is concerned with how things go on, but science cannot explain how things begin. For example, this is an illustration that's so helpful to me. Perhaps it'll be helpful to you. A man can measure the swing of a clock's pendulum and come up with an explanation that will state exactly where that pendulum will be at any future moment in time. And when that pendulum will cease to swing, come to a stop. 
By changing the factors in the equation, a man can probe into the past and explain where the pendulum swung at previous moments in time by working backwards. Now follow this. For a while, those answers will make sense, but there will come a point at which the equation going backwards will give ridiculous information. If you go back too far, the equation will tell you that the pendulum was swinging two directions at the very same time in wider and wider arcs until it's contradicting itself. And so two conclusions emerge. First, the laws that govern the swing of a pendulum do not explain how the pendulum began to swing in the first place. And secondly, something quite different is happening now than than must have taken place at the beginning to get that pendulum started. And so the observer is driven to a point of mere theory because he cannot state positively when and how the pendulum first began to swing. Folks, here's the point. Reason cannot help us. Revelation is necessary for us to know that God is and that he created all that is. And so this morning I will make no attempt to be exhaustive, even comprehensive in our study of Genesis for, for, for Genesis chapter one for I'm not a scientist, I'm not prepared to explain or defend the marvelous genius of God's physical creation from a scientific standpoint. I would refer you to great organizations like An- Answers in Genesis with, with Ken Ham, Perhaps you've been to the the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. I would commend those exhibits to you. There are other organizations like Henry Morris's Institute of Creation Research that have done a great job in affirming the Genesis account through scientific validation. There's the Twin Cities Creation Science Association that hosts uh, events locally and lectures. There are other creation organizations. But for our purposes this morning, I want us to simply know that God is and God created And then we will read this morning Genesis chapter one and ask, how does this truth impact our life of faith? My outline is straightforward. Number one, God created life on the earth. God created life on the earth. Genesis one, verse number one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word created in the Hebrew language is the word bara. It occurs 55 times in the Old Testament and it is always and only used of God as its subject. Meaning this, man can make things, that's asa. Man can form things, that's yatsa. But only God can create, bara. And what's unique about the Hebrew word bara, it indicates the making of something out of nothing. You may be familiar with the Latin ex nihilo, out of nothing. Verse number two, the earth was without form and void and the darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Following God's creation of heaven and earth in verse number one, verse number two seems to suggest there was an empty disorder on the earth. I'm I'm calling this letter A, the void described. You say, oh, but but does that mean that God's original creation in Genesis 1-1 was a mess. No. Isaiah 45, 18 says that God did not make the world a waste place. Genesis 1, 2 says it was formless and void. Some Bible scholars believe that that condition, the condition of the earth in verse number two, was a result of Lucifer's fall, perhaps. And and I'm fascinated by that idea, but if we look ahead to verse three, we realize that the cure for the void described in verse two 
was what in verse 3? It was light in verse 3. And God's first creative directive in his creation was to separate the light from the darkness. Even Paul in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 wrote, For it was God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness who is shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And, and, and there Paul is comparing the action of Genesis 1 verse 3 to God's recreation of fallen man in Jesus Christ because light dispels any void. The void dispelled. Let me read verses three through five. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day. The darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. I would offer you the darkness was changed to light. And God literally said, light be. And light was. And folks, here at the beginning, we learn something about God. When God speaks, it is done. When Jesus was in, his, in the boat with the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, you remember a fierce storm threatened to sink their boat. And Jesus said, peace be still. And immediately the wind and the waves obeyed his voice. It was done. When Jesus stood before the tomb of Lazarus, a man who had been dead for three years, his, I'm sorry, three days, his body already de- decomposing, Jesus cried, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth. A leper said to Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus said, be clean. Verse number six. Verse six, then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament and it was so and God called the firmament heaven so the heaven and the morning, I'm sorry, the evening and the morning were the second day. I'm no scientist but in my study this week I learned that the amount of water vapor continually suspended in the air above us is estimated at 54 trillion 460 billion tons. Okay, Water is 773 times the weight of air. So that gives us some idea of the power required to separate the waters from the waters and suspend that water above us. Verse number nine. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and so let the dry land appear and it was so and God called the dry land earth and gathering together the waters he called seas and God saw that it was good. God raised the clouds, verses six through eight, and God raised the continents in verses nine and 10. I'm gonna call this the, the disorder changed to land. The disorder changed to land. We continue, verse 11, then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the third day. This is number three, the deadness changed to life. The darkness changed to light, the disorder changed to, I'm sorry, the, the, the darkness changed to light, the disorder changed to land, and the deadness changed to, to life. And God created plant life on the earth. It's fascinating the, the categories or the classification that Moses gave to, to the, earth, the earth's vegetation. If you look at verse 11, the first plant was grass in verse 11a. In grass, the seed is not obvious to the eye. 
But the second plant, the herb, in verse 11b, the herb, the seed is the, the marked feature. And then the third plant, in verse 11c, the fruit is the seed. And all in all, this vegetation produces, reproduces life, and God created life on the earth. Number two, God created law on the earth. God created law on the earth and follow beginning in verse number 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule Here we are to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning now were the fourth day. The heavenly bodies were commanded to rule. The sun and the moon ruling the the day and the night. Now, in verse number 16, I read it quickly, Moses declared that God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. How did Moses know that the sun was greater than the moon. You say, well, obviously, that's easy. The sun is brighter and hotter than the moon. Okay, but not if you were an ancient living in Egypt where man thought that the moon was far greater than the sun. You see, we've all seen the the full moon, the harvest moon. It, It looks huge, It wasn't until the third century BC that a man named Aristarchus figured out that the sun was actually bigger than the moon. The moon can appear to be bigger or greater than the sun because, of course, it's closer to the earth and we understand those things. But Moses, by revelation from God, had it right. Secondly, human beings were created to rule. Again, I need to read quickly verse 20. Then God said, let the waters around with an abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply in the earth so the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beasts of the earth which according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. God saw that it was good. I'll pause there. Man's dominion is prepared for him. We we call it the animal kingdom. One day, I'm sorry, on day five, God filled the seas with fish, the skies with fowl. There on day six, God created the, or filled the earth with, with animals. Today, scientists will classify 800,000 different kinds of insects, 30,000 kinds of fish, 9,000 kinds of birds, 6,000 kinds of reptiles, 3,000 kinds of amphibians, and 5,000 kinds of mammals. And if Genesis 1 were a psalm, Verse 25 would certainly end with a selah, if you, if you will, or salah. Stop and think about this. Think about all that we've just read so quickly. What do you think of that? Verse 26, then God said, 
Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Next week, we're gonna study that specifically, the creation of man in the image of God. Verse 28, then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I've given every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food. Also every beast of the earth, every bird of the air, everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I've given every green herb for food. And it was so, then God saw everything that he had made. Indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. This is man's dominion presented to him. And there the crowning act of God's creation was the creation of man. And man was given dominion over every living thing. And all of this creation was very good. Folks, what we have read this morning you know well. And I suspect that there is none here this morning that would object that God is and God created. Some of you love to go in the deep weeds of, of science and, and come to understand these things in even more specific ways and, and there's great value in that. But what do we do with Genesis chapter one? How do we respond to this beginning? God is and God created. There in the back of your notes, I would suggest four responses that we have to our creator God. And the first is this. Folks, we should fear our creator. I've given you there Psalm 33, verses six through nine. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. What do we do with Genesis chapter one? Do we argue and debate how this could be? Do we create the the, the theories and the imaginations of man, the wisdom of man to argue for or against all these things? We ought to fear God. He is our creator as the apostle Paul would challenge, as Jeremiah would challenge. Does a theme formed answer back or talk back or speak back to their creator? You're the creation. We need to fear the Lord. Secondly, we should worship our creator. Worship him. Psalm 95, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. We fear God. We worship God. God, because he is our creator. Well, how do we get there? How do we get to the place where we fear him and we worship him? Number three, we should be humble before our creator. Psalm eight, you know this psalm well. David says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him, that you should even care? For you've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. And just in contrition, we humble ourselves before our creator. We think of bowing the knee to a king 
And Jesus is king, king of kings, Lord of lords, God of gods. We get that. But never mind that in the book of Revelation. Let's start at the beginning in the book of Genesis. What do we do with God, our creator? Before we understand that he's king and Lord and God, he's creator. And so we humble ourselves before our creator. Number four, we find comfort from our creator or by our creator. You may not have ever thought of this, First Peter chapter four, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. What is it about God, your creator, that can give you some comfort in this life? God made you. Of course, we understand that God loves you and that God redeemed you through Jesus Christ. What a great comfort that is to us. As you read Genesis chapter one, don't look for the science. Don't look for the creation. See the creator of all. Because in Romans chapter one, a passage we won't turn to, but you're familiar with it, the greatest sin of man is in worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And God has given all of creation to inform us about how great of a creator he is. Let me pray. God in heaven, we bow our heads and our hearts before you as our creator. You have made us and we believe that. And God, from that, we are informed that you love us, that you've redeemed us, Lord, that you are King of kings, Lord of lords, God of gods over your creation. I pray, Lord, that you would find us to be people who fear you, worship you, humble ourselves before you, and find comfort in you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.